introduction to the book of Titus. And as you make your way there, I want to tell you a quick story. In the 1957 World Series, uh, the New York Yankees played the Milwaukee Braves. They weren't always in Atlanta. They used to be in Milwaukee. And uh, behind home plate for the Yankees was the legendary catcher, Yogi Berra. And Yogi, uh, one of the things that made him good, one of the things that ensured that he played in 21 World Series, not just games, 21 World Series, was the fact that he was a master at getting batters off their game. He would throw dirt on their shoes. Uh, he, would, he would point out things in the crowd. Uh, he would talk just continuously. This just ceaseless pattering and chattering that was meant entirely to distract batters. Well, in 1957, the Milwaukee Braves were led in slugging by one Henry Aaron. And as Henry Aaron stopped, stepped up to the plate, Yogi was at his usual chatter, just nonstop. And he goes, hey, Henry, 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 you got to pay attention to the bat, man. You're holding the bat wrong. You're holding the bat wrong. you got to look at it. you got to look at it so you can see the trademark. Otherwise, you're going to break the bat. Henry, you got to turn the bat around. you got to turn the bat around. Well, just then, pitch came over the plate, and Henry Aaron whacked it for a home run into the left field bleachers. He made his jog around the, ba the bases and he came back and he said, Hey, Yogi, I ain't come up here to read. <laughs> and um, that story, I love that story, it carries an important lesson, which is this. Don't lose sight of what's really important. When you're at bat, swing the bat. Amen? And Hammer and Hank, Aaron, knew how to do his job. He focused on what was really important. And the lesson for us as the church is one that we need to remember too. To focus on what is really important. Because in the church, it's awfully easy to get distracted by side issues and causes and activities and forget what is vital. What is vital and necessary. And so this morning, I want to launch with you in the short little book of Titus. And the book of Titus, the purpose of it is to help us remember what is vital for us as a church and what is a distraction and to separate out the two. So if you're not there yet, I invite you to turn with me over to the book of Titus. We're going to look at the first four verses of this, this wonderful little book here this morning. And then I'm going to pray for us. And if you're able, if you'd please stand as I read verses 1 through 4. This is what the Word of God says. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior, to Titus, my true child, and a common faith, 
grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that in the midst of a world in which distractions are constant and we even carry them around in our pockets, Father, that you would help us to focus this morning on what is really important and help us to separate the wheat from the chaff and to pay attention to your word and what it says to us. And Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Um, if you're like most people, when you come to a, uh, one of the letters in the New Testament, a lot of us kind of do is just skim or skip over that part so we can get to the good part, the meat of this letter. But if you do that in the book of Titus, what you will do is miss something that is really important. And what you'll miss is the reason behind the whole letter. And the Apostle Paul has sent his disciple, Pastor Titus, to the church on the island of Crete with some jobs to do. And building up the, the, uh, the church there and shepherding them uh, to spiritual maturity, just like a modern-day pastor is supposed to. The model for that is found in these letters, First uh, and Second Timothy and Titus, where Paul sent his disciples to go and pastor in various places. Um, but he begins by reminding Titus of what's really important and the gospel foundation of all of the instructions that follow. In other words, this whole book gives lots of instructions for what Titus is to do with the church at Crete where he's going. But it begins by drawing Titus' attention back to the gospel and remembering that the gospel is the foundation for all of the ministry and all of the instructions that come after this. That Because if you don't have the gospel squared away, and remember what it is that you're supposed to be doing, then as you try to carry this out, you're going to mess it up. So Paul begins this letter, uh, like all ancient letter writers did. This is always convenient. When you get a letter, wouldn't it be nice to know who it was from? without having to wait to the end, you can you find out at the very beginning, Paul, and he introduces himself as uh, an, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, uh, that means he is one of a very few men in church history chosen specifically uh, and directly by Jesus himself to be a witness to Jesus' own resurrection and to build up and to oversee the establishment of the church. That's his role. Uh, but notice that Paul does not think that his position as an apostle exists for his own benefit, for his own aggrandizement, for his own sake. It exists uh, for him to be a servant of God, and he is in this role so that the gospel might be known and believed and lived out among God's people. So that's what he means when he says that he is there for the sake of the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. Now I want to draw our attention to that and, and draw out some important aspects of it. Number one, just as God chose Abraham and his descendants among many others, 
to be his people in the Old Testament, so also God is continuing to choose and to call and to save people in the church age. That's why they're here called God's elect. God's elect. And number two, Paul's job is to carry the gospel to them that they might believe. That's why he mentions their faith. Now, it's not my purpose here this morning to give a full orb presentation of the doctrine of election, uh, but by way of summary, here's what you need to understand about it. That according to your Bible, you are saved and you put your faith in Jesus Christ because God, in His grace, chose you and loved you and saved you. And just as Jesus taught in uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 44, uh, God had an eternal plan to draw you to Himself that you might put your faith in Jesus and be saved. So your salvation, if it happens, is in fulfillment of God's plan from before there was a world to bring you into relationship with Him. How about that? God's gracious plan is not dependent on you. It is dependent on Jesus coming and dying for your sins and then Him drawing you into relationship with Himself. Uh, there's also something else that you need to, to notice in this verse, and that is the link between these terms. Faith, knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. So in other words, we begin our spiritual life by faith in the gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he was raised from the dead. That is the faith by which your relationship with God begins. And then as you grow to understand it better, you grow in godliness right alongside that. So growth in our understanding of the truth from God is always meant to lead us to greater holiness. If it doesn't, then obviously we don't really understand it. Because there is no way to follow Jesus and not become more like Jesus. That ought to be obvious, but in case it's not, following Jesus means becoming more like Him in the process. Right? So you, you put your faith in Jesus, and as you follow Jesus and grow in your understanding of the truth, faith, knowledge, godliness, those are all tied together. Okay? You grow in your faith, as you grow in knowledge of, and understanding of what God is telling you in His Word, and then as a result of that, you also grow in godliness. You start to look like Jesus as you follow Jesus. So here's the point. The gospel is central. Even though Paul was an apostle, Paul was reminding Titus at the very beginning of this, that he, that is Paul, didn't build the church. And by the way, neither did Titus. So what does the gospel? It is the gospel that builds up the church as God's elect children put their faith in Jesus and grow in their knowledge of him and his truth and develop godliness based on that. 
and Paul and Titus and us are there as servants of the going out of the gospel and growing in the knowledge of the truth and practicing godliness. It is the gospel that builds the church of Jesus Christ. Not people. It's the gospel. And that gospel message is something which keeps God's promise. Uh, just to underline the point, in verse 2, Paul uh, goes on to describe the gospel and highlight that it's the fulfillment of God's promises from eternity past. If you look at verse 2, uh, this continues on from verse 1. It says, the gospel is the hope of eternal life. It's the reason why if you are a child of God who has believed in Jesus Christ and known the truth that has produced godliness and are expecting to live forever, the reason why you can have hope of eternal life is the gospel. It is the gospel which gives you that hope. And so, in other words, Paul is not the herald of some newfangled fly-by-night cult that he has invented in his own time. That was, the, that was what his critics said. They said, oh, you're purveying new religions. No, he's not. He is proclaiming the fulfillment of God's promise made all the way back in the garden. And before that, the fulfillment of God's intention in creating the world to save a people for himself. It was promised, Paul says, before the ages began. Now that's mind-blowing to contemplate, but Paul is not alone in this. The Bible consistently teaches that Jesus' incarnation and crucifixion and resurrection and the salvation that we have through faith in these things is not God's plan B after we messed it up in the garden. Okay, In other words, God made this, this perfect world, we all fell into sin, and then God's like, oh no, i got to come up with something else to do. I guess I'll send Jesus. No. Uh, the book of Revelation says it this way. Uh, Revelation 13, 8. The Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. In other words, it was your sin, my sin, all humanity's sin, going all the way back to the garden, was an event which was known before there was a world. And God, therefore, planned to send Jesus to be the Savior before there was a garden, before there was an earth, before the heavens were made. God had declared His intention to save people. Now, I know that messes with your head. Um, I know that is a mind-blowing thought. But you and I, here's the important thing, you and I are not an accommodation to God's plan failing. We are part of God's plan. And we always were. In other words, you were loved before you existed. Before the world existed, God knew you and loved you. And plan to save. And so the gospel is not only the message 
that builds up the church. The gospel is the message of God's eternal promise being kept. And so as Paul says here, God never lies. And so those who believe the gospel and are saved and then through it come to know God's truth and to live as His children can confidently expect to receive eternal life. Because God who has been keeping His promise from eternity past and sending Christ, has also promised eternal life to all who put their trust in Jesus. And in case you're wondering how God's eternal promises became known, look at verse 3. It says, It was manifested at the proper time in His Word uh, through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God's uh, of God our Savior. That is, God's plan was made plain in His Word. Paul may have gotten a specific commission from God directly to proclaim the message in His Word, but he didn't invent the Gospel. In fact, it has always been proclaimed by God through the Word given to His people. And this is a, an allusion to the fact that God has been speaking about the coming of the Messiah ever since anyone became aware of a need for a Messiah. You know that? You know when God uh, gave the promise of the Messiah first? You can look it up. In the same chapter in which the first sin occurs is the first mention of the coming of Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where Adam and Eve fell into, the, into sin by listening to the voice of the serpent. In that same chapter, when God confronts them and pronounces judgment on their sin, He announces also the coming of the seed of the woman. This is interesting. It's a weird description. Women do not have seed. Men have seed. There'd be a child born of a woman who would crush the serpent and deliver all the people of the world who put their trust in him. And so all of the Old Testament exists, unfold that message and to identify and clarify who this person is. And in fact, Jesus said in Luke chapter 24 on the road to Emmaus as he's talking with his disciples that all of the Old Testament testifies to him and that if you rightly understand the Old Testament, what you have to understand is that all of it is directed to and about Him. And so Paul says that when Jesus came as the Messiah, He is fulfilling God's eternal promises and also that He has appointed witnesses like Paul to proclaim the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection in the world. And so, in other words... The gospel that Paul is preaching is not new news. It's the same message that God has been declaring in His Word from, from all the way back, as far as you want to go, all the way to the beginning. What is new is that the ancient promise declared by God in His Word is the fulfillment that, that it has been fulfilled and the fact that it is being newly proclaimed. In other words, all the Old Testament looks forward to the coming of Messiah and Paul's job, your job, my job, is to say, hey, God kept His promises. 
God kept his promises. Messiah has come. And all who have faith in him can be saved through faith in him. And that brings us to verse 4. We learn who Paul is writing to. It's the pastor Titus, obviously. But Titus is more than a pastor. He is Paul's true child in a common faith. And what Paul is saying here is that Titus is both his disciple and one who shares the same faith in Jesus as Paul has. And what follows after that greeting is a blessing that can only apply to those who have that same faith in Jesus. Do you see it? It says grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. God's grace comes to us only one way, through the gospel, through faith in Jesus Christ. And when we believe the gospel, that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead, then we become recipients of God's grace. And as a result of that, we who are at war with God in our sin, all of a sudden sign the peace treaty. We have both grace and peace from God. And God becomes our Father as Jesus Christ becomes our Savior. And note that it is Jesus Christ who is the Savior. There are, there's more than one of us who is saved. That's why He is our Savior, but only those who put their faith in Jesus are saved by Him. All who believe the gospel become children of God with God as their Father. And Messiah Jesus has become the Savior. Now, Titus surely already knows all these things. He's been Paul's disciple, after all, for many years. And many of you, I'm sure, know all these things as well. So why, Pastor, are you belaboring this for the last 20 minutes? Why is Paul spending four verses talking about how the gospel came into the world and how he and Titus have received a role as a herald of the truth of God and the proclamation of the gospel? Why is this important to look at this? And I, th I think there are three reasons at least why we do well to remember that it is the gospel that builds the church, that the gospel is the fulfillment of God's promises. It's the gospel which gives us our hope. It is the gospel which is declared through the word and as witnesses. It's the gospel that needs to be faithfully transmitted from one generation to another, as from Paul to Titus, so from you to other people that you will disciple. Why is that really important? To remember. Here's the first reason. You might want to write this down. Because it is easy to get distracted and move away from the gospel. It's very easy to get distracted and consumed by many things. A church can get wrapped up and start focusing on all kinds of good things. They can get focused on poverty relief. They can get focused on politics. On community events. On choir practice. 
uh, on drilling wells in, in poor communities, on running food pantries and hospitals and clinics and all kinds of good causes and campaigns. And it's not that these things are bad. In fact, the church can and should be involved in all of them. But it's not at the expense of the one thing we must do. Which is build the church on the gospel and make the gospel the focus not only of our ministry, but also of our life and also of our interaction with the world. Because the world is not going to hell because they vote the wrong way. Amen? The world is not going to hell for lack of clean water wells being drilled. The world is not going to hell because it is hungry. And the church can and should and ought to have a role in all of these things. But the world is going to hell for lack of understanding that Jesus is the Christ who died on the cross for our sins and was raised from the dead to give us new life. So we must not get distracted by anything lesser. Amen? Secondly, because all practical church ministry needs the Gospel as its foundation, it's easy for us to forget what the foundation should be for all the practical stuff that we need to accomplish in the church. And so we can easily start to listen to the marketing gurus and the modern day apostles of pragmatism who will give you a 10 step plan for what you need to do. And you can get focused on buildings and budgets and behinds and book sales and the senior pastor's social media following and his homiletical skills. And these things all have their place at times. But here's where God's word is meant to humble us. And it's a reminder that God builds His church. Jesus said, I will build my church. And He changes His people through the eternal gospel and therefore all practical ministry needs to have its basis and its foundation and its focus on gospel which changes and transforms people's lives. We'll see more of how that principle works itself out in practical ways later in the book. But for now, understand this. Every bit of Paul's instruction in all three of these chapters is based on the gospel. And since that's true, then how we operate as Chillicothe Bible Church in 2022 needs to be based on the gospel as well. And our goals and our hopes and our desires for what we do as a church ought to have that as our focus and goal and purpose and method. Amen? Third thing, real quickly, because the gospel has to be faithfully transmitted. Without making disciples 
through the spread of the gospel, the church will not fulfill her calling of carrying the gospel to all of the world's peoples. According to Jesus, one of the big blessings and a big part of the responsibilities of a person who has put their trust in Jesus Christ and has God as their Father and Jesus as their Savior is the joy not only of mutual membership in God's family with other believers, but also the joy of making Jesus known and helping people grow up to maturity in Him alongside them. As I said, it's easy for us to get distracted easy. And it's easy for us to not only forget how the gospel builds the church, but what our role in it is. Paul is here reminding Titus, and God, in causing this book to be joined to his word, is reminding us that we who have received the gospel, who have been transformed by faith in Jesus, are meant to faithfully transmit the gospel to the next generation after us. But just as Paul taught Timothy and Titus and a whole bunch of other guys, Luke among them, uh, to be heralds of the gospel, just as Titus went to the church at Crete and was a herald of the gospel to them and, and helped them to grow up to maturity in Christ. So you and I have the same responsibility, same one, to pass the gospel on and to help other people grow to maturity. We ought to all have, the, have people in our life to whom we are saying, come follow me as I follow Jesus. We are called, every one of us, to make disciples. That's your job. No one told you, I'm here to tell you, that's your job. Okay? And that takes a variety of forms. If, you, if you're a parent, you are a disciple maker. And you are discipling them into something. And so be careful what you're discipling them into and what you're teaching them to do. Don't teach them as an example. I don't mean this to be mean, but take me serious. Don't teach them that sports are more important than church. Don't teach them that. Teach them that if sports fits around church, then we'll do sports. We're going to be a church. Don't teach them that reading the Bible is optional by what you do. Make disciples of your children, of your parents. If you have friends, make disciples of your friends. Say, hey, you know, this is what I've been reading in my Bible. I'd love to walk through it with you. If you're married, you have a responsibility to be an encouragement to your mate in their walk with Jesus. To pray together. To at least occasionally read the Bible together. To encourage each other to grow in Christ. We make disciples. If you have neighbors, 
you can actually, believe it or not, you can be bold enough to invite your neighbors to a Bible study at your house that you lead. And don't tell me you can't do it. You have the Spirit of God in your heart and the Word of God in your hands. You can do it. You can do it. And this is our calling. Amen? This is what Jesus left us here and gave us the Spirit of God and the Word of God to do. And if we don't do it, we've failed in our mission. Every one of us is called. Like Paul, like Titus, like Jesus commanded in Matthew to carry the gospel to other people and make disciples of them. And some of y'all who are sitting here right now are called not only to your local community, you're called to go overseas somewhere. To speak the gospel and make disciples among people of a nation you've never even heard. God is calling you to carry the gospel wherever he puts you. Amen? So, let's you and I carry out the mission that Jesus gave us and transmit it faithfully. Transmit the gospel faithfully. And make disciples to the generation that is behind us. Amen? Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you build the church. That it's not up to us to build it. We don't have to have strategic plans and 10-step marketing goals and whatever else. What we need to do is faithfully bring the gospel to lost and dying men and women and boys and girls and faithfully help them to walk with you by your word and spirit. Father, I pray that you would help us to be faithful to build Chillicothe Bible Church and its ministries and our lives and the transformation Jesus has brought by his word and spirit. By his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, Father, we experience new life and membership in his family and then you give us your Holy Spirit to empower us to live out the life that you have called us to. Father, help us live it. We, we get so easily distracted. We think we're up to up to the plate so we can read the print on the back sometimes. Father, help us to hit a home run in our generation and carry the gospel to those who desperately need it and to live it out in our own lives and to help other people live it out. Father, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.